Awesome admission professionals. This podcast is the Admissions Entrepreneur, a day in the life. I'm your host, Tom Skank. I'm the founder of Dartmouth Associates, and we are the creators of the Results Oriented Recruiting System, otherwise known as ROAR, a proprietary enrollment intervention that integrates entrepreneurial thinking and sales fundamentals to immediately help schools in crisis. We are also the first and only global consultancy to assist K-12 independent schools with their enrollment needs and through integrated multimedia campaigns, introduce schools to companies that bring best-in-class products and services that enhance their recruiting process from around the world. Dartmouth Associates offers 360 enrollment audits, online results-oriented recruiting training, executive admission masterclasses, keynote addresses, conference facilitation, and director placement searches. We also offer three integrated media campaigns designed to both exalt and align admission professionals from around the globe. This podcast, The Admissions Entrepreneur, A Day in the Life, our Roar Magazine, the first ever upscale lifestyle publication for the admission professional, and the San Diego Admission Fest Summit, Power Marketing for the New Era. These diverse campaigns are also designed to offer aggressive sponsorship opportunities for companies wanting to exhibit their products and services to the admission office market. If you need recruiting help or would like to promote your products or services, please email us at dartmouthassociates at gmail.com or go to our website at www.dartmouthassociates.com. Today, we're bringing fun and insights to your profession. We have incredible guests who share their unique life stories with you. So please make sure to catch each and every episode and like, subscribe, and share. Now, let's get started. Hello, listeners. This again is Tom Skank with the Admissions Entrepreneur Podcast. And with me today, we are delighted to have Tracy Catlett. Tracy joined the Greensboro Day School community as the first female head of the school in 2019. Her educational career spans over 25 years, including 11 years in the public school system and 14 years in independent schools. Tracy arrived in Greensboro after serving Louisville Collegiate School in Louisville, Kentucky, most recently as the associate head of school, a longtime high school math teacher. Tracy's other roles included assistant head of school for academics, director of admission and mathematics department chairhead. Tracy received a BS in finance from Florida State University and began her first career as a financial analyst at Nations Bank in Miami and later earned an MAT in mathematics from the University of Louisville. Tracy is currently a doctoral student at Johns Hopkins, researching the rise in stress and anxiety among adolescents in high-achieving schools. Tracy has hit the ground running since arriving at Greensboro Day School. Under her headship to date, the school has completed the strategic plan, raised $2.14 million in cash. Wow. Uh, these have been donations for the endowment campaign, 
joined the Global Online Academy, secured a teacher exchange in Arusha, Tanzania, and tackled a student well-being. You keep moving, Tracy. Wow. Tracy has, has safely and successfully led GDS through the pandemic, making major safety and infrastructure changes to campus so they could open on time and on capacity, and that being a full capacity last summer. The school enrolled a record number of new students, 215 during the 2020-21 school year. Pre-COVID, Tracy volunteered as a reading buddy at Peck Elementary, and recently she joined the board of the National Advisory Board of Authentic Connections and will join MISBO as the new board member this summer. Tracy and her husband, Mark, reside in Greensboro and have four sons and two dogs. Tracy enjoys traveling with her family, hiking, drinking coffee on the new porch, snow skiing, Netflix binge watching, and long walks with her dogs. Tracy, welcome. Wow. Have you Thank always, you, um, obviously you've done a lot of things. And I think that everybody's got 24 hours in a day, but certainly you've made tremendous use of those 24 hours. Um, what I'd like to do is I'm, I'm going to start out really asking you to kind of describe your journey from math teacher to running a school. How did that happen? Was that, a, was that part of a master plan or take us through your thought process? <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm happy to be here, Thomas. And yeah, I originally um, got into business because I, I, while I wanted to be a teacher, it's, it's something that was sort of sitting in my heart. I primarily was just wanted to be independent and make money. And I, I heard teachers don't make money. So I decided to pursue um, banking, the banking world. And, and it was my experience at the bank. When I volunteered with Junior Achievement as an economics instructor, I would go every Friday to the local high school and teach an economics lesson that they asked me to teach too. And so I would stay for a double session. And the, those Fridays were um, really what excited me when I would wake up in the morning. It wasn't going into the bank wearing a suit. It was teaching <laughs> children. And so that, thus my pursuit uh, to get a master's degree and change careers in Louisville and then worked in the public school system. Math is just something that had always come easy to me. And I enjoyed helping my friends and explaining how to solve problems. So that's what took me down the math pathway. And then uh, when our uh, one of our children was getting ready to start kindergarten, um, a, a friend and would soon be future colleague asked me to come over and take a look at Louisville Collegiate School and take a tour. And uh, I'm a public school advocate and product. And that's just naturally where we were going to send our children. But after I took the tour and counted the number of desks in a classroom and heard about the student-teacher ratio and the whole child approach to teaching and learning, we knew that we wanted uh, our oldest to go to an independent school. And it just so happened they had a mathematics opening in the high school. And thus began my journey teaching in independent schools and then really just became department chair and then dean of academics and just sort of that natural um, progression into different jobs. I've never really been afraid of trying anything new. Um, and I, I was actually very content just being a teacher. I don't mean just being a teacher, but being a teacher and department chair was really the perfect thing while I was raising young children because I really valued um, my time with them in the summer. And that was really special and I will never regret it. So as they got older um, and opportunities became open 
I just started taking some chances and, and either volunteered or applied for internal positions and ended up um, at Greensboro Day School. Once I decided, um, my family said, yeah, it's time for the next thing. I, I was ready to take a chance at running a school and just having a bigger impact. And that's how I landed at Greensboro Day School. Unbelievable journey. And obviously, you're, you're really a renaissance woman because you've been in the corporate world, you've seen education, and you made a choice that really made sense for your life. Yeah, that's important. I, I was making a choice that makes sense for our life is important. When I was in the head search, you know, I, we weren't going to just go anywhere. I wanted to go where, um, where I felt connected to the community, um, where we could enjoy the outdoors. And Greensboro has a lot to offer in terms of just the city itself and a couple hours from the mountains, a couple hours from the ocean. And it's, we've really come to love Greensboro. Well, you've gone through quite a trial by fire, uh, taking over his head through this whole COVID situation. My goodness. That's um, right. What was really the, the greatest challenge? Obviously, is just running a school in general, but what, what, do you, what do you feel were the greatest challenges as a head when the COVID hit? Uh, wow. I, I know it's, I, I, I'm always trying to put myself back in the shoes about a year ago. And frankly, getting into distance learning went as smooth as it could. Um, the, the biggest challenge last summer was the unknown. Just we still didn't know what we didn't know about the virus. And just we didn't know how bad it was going to get her. We were always looking ahead. We were talking to schools in South Korea, in Seoul, the Dwight School. I had a, an email exchange with the head of school in Rome, and I was talking to a school um, a part of a group talking with this, I think it was the Seattle School for the Arts, but it was this, it was an independent school in Seattle. So we were always looking ahead where the virus would hit first. And, and then we would sort of say, well, if we were in that city now, what would we need to do? But the unknown was the most challenging because every time we made a shift or a pivot or anything, you know, uh, something new would come out either from the CDC or local, local guidance. So it was, so, you know, you just had to learn to be, and we continue, it's not over yet, um, to be wow. flexible and adaptable and just get ready mentally um, for the worst. And we just stayed committed to talking to other schools and locally, but I also was very, I really valued hear, hearing from other independent schools um, outside of North Carolina, you know, in the West and up in New York, where then it went after Seattle. So I would say the unknown was really the biggest challenge. The easiest part was putting in the infrastructure. I mean, we did it. And, and I just said, uh, I told my team, we will find the money. We will, we, 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 but we've got to move quickly. And so our tech team was amazing and secured the Zooms and uh, invested in the swivels for the school. We invested in the global plasma technology for the air filtration system on campus. I mean, those things that when we kind of go back and think about those were, those were easy decisions. It was just the unknown. And, um, you know, would we be ready and could we really get the campus safe to welcome everyone back to campus? Well, I'm sure, I'm sure you had some sleepless nights, but it seemed like you always, if you weren't sleeping, you were planning. Uh. That's absolutely true. We attempted to take an RV trip last summer with my family. We, we took the trip, but was a trip. It wasn't a vacation, but it, it, you know, we got away safely. And uh, I spent many days in the RV working on a return to 
uh, return to campus safety plan. <laughs> well, obviously you, you've, you've achieved it. Uh, let me go to one of the things that came out in your biography, and that was that, first of all, you've been a director of admission, and this uh, podcast is about admissions. Mm -hmm. uh, how, did you, how did you take your experience as a director of admission, and what did you do to increase the enrollment so dramatically? This episode is sponsored by School Connections. The idea is simple, affordable and meaningful venues for traditional boarding schools, therapeutic schools, and domestic and international educational consultants to come together for informational and networking purposes. This process ultimately leads to the successful placing of students into the most compatible environments. School Connections workshops involve multiple individual meetings between educational consultants and admissions representatives from schools and programs. Their workshops range from two to three days and allow attendees to maximize their time with individual appointments in one workshop in one location. I know from experience, School Connections is a fantastic program. And if you are looking for students, please reach out to them at schoolconnections.org. That's schoolconnections.org. Well, we increased the enrollment at my previous uh, independent school by, by um, learning from the students, you know, asking the ninth graders why they stayed, asking the ninth graders what type of um, swag or marketing things that we could do um, or, you know, to, to get or leverage to attract to the families and, and talking to current parents and having conversations with parents who didn't choose to come to um, my previous school and really doing a deep dive and listening to the users of the experience, which are the, the parents and the students. And that is why I believe in, in obviously a great team and a great product um, is why the enrollment went up in the independent school. And then here at Greensboro Day School, um, we have had a small trend of growth since I arrived. Of course, we had a surge during COVID like a lot of independent sure. schools. Um, that value add of face-to-face -face learning on campus was what drove a lot of our families to Greensboro Day School. Now, I will say um, of the 215 new families or new students this past school year, we had about 53 of those families uh, tell us uh, we, we went, I'm, I'm very data informed. And so we wanted to find out from these new families who was really just planning on a one year being um, what we would call a renter. And that's a sure. term um, that NAIS may have coined. And we discovered that around 53 of those students were the family said that they were very adamant about just being here for a year because they couldn't afford it or because they, their public school or their parochial or private school, they were happy, they were satisfied. So we set a really bold goal of retaining 80% of just the new families. Wow. And today we're at 81% that have re-enrolled no next year. No kidding. And so I think what it's, I know what it tells us is, you know, the cost of independent school is expensive. And so immediately, I think that is definitely the first deterrent when someone goes to a website and sees, I can't do it. Um, but when they come to campus and have the experience, they find a way to make it happen. It could be through the financial assistance program. Uh, for some families, they, they make a sacrifice. 
not to join a club or not to do um, set aside money for house projects. I mean, they find a way. Um, sometimes the grandparents are helping out, mm-hmm. but when they, we learned that when they got here and experienced it, they stayed because of the teachers in the program. And so that's why they're coming back. And that tells us that we just need to do a better job of communicating the value add, the propos- you know, the value proposition when it's not COVID, when, 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 um, when human to human uh, contact on campus is not the main driver or value, you know, the main value add that's mm-hmm. driving. So we really need to think about our messaging and how we can get people to campus. Well, that, I mean, the fact that literally just to make sure I'm correct, that you enrolled 215 new students, not including re-enrollment. These are brand new students. Brand new. Yes. Wow. So what is your current enrollment, Tracy? Um, 804 students right now. 804. Wow. And the fact that you you retained 81% of those renters, uh, so to speak, um, speaks volumes as to not only, you know, it's one thing about communicating the value add, but it's the other part is walking the talk. Exactly. That's exactly what we were able to do. And that's why they're staying um, because of their experience, because of the front line, which are the teachers and the counselors and the nurses. Yes, absolutely. Talk to us a little bit about your relationship with the admission office. Uh, what kind of overseer are you? Um, what, how do you communicate your expectations of them? And, and what kind of information do you want from them on a regular basis? Yeah, I, um, when I arrived, you know, I think the experience in the admission office at my previous school was, um, was something that, you know, the board was interested in and how we increased enrollment there and innovative ideas around that and being student centered around that process. Uh, and so those ideas, when I first arrived, I shared those with the team and it, you know, they weren't, um, a command, it's more of a collaborative, uh, you know, sharing of ideas. And that's what I did is provided them with ideas, resources, um, data, you know, what, which decisions and ideas uh, resulted in um, change and um, which ones were more about just, um, you know, strengthening or tightening the process. And um, I meet with our director of enrollment weekly. We have a weekly uh, meeting and then we also, at this point in the spring, have a weekly looking at sections in, uh, for re-enrollment. And we have a couple grades that we're making a decision. Do we move forward with a, you know, a third section in the lower school? Do we have a weight pool list? So those are the decisions we're making right now over the next few weeks. But, you know, my, my number one job is to support the work that they're doing. I mean, you know, you've heard this in, in your line of work. We're all admission officers. We're all or we're all enrollment officers. Um, and so I'm just out telling the story and helping, you know, drive community to our enrollment office. But my, my number one job is to support their work. And it might be uh, note writing, making phone calls. Tr- I try to do a face-to-face hello with prospective families that come to campus. And um, we, we just, it's just sort of an all-in approach. We, it's, it's a job that we all have to be focused on. Well, that's certainly something that has resonated with a lot of school heads as well as admissions people that I have spoken with, and that it's truly a, a comprehensive campaign that yeah. has to involve not just the faculty and staff, uh, but just as importantly, 
families, you know, your current families, as we know, are some of the best advocates of the school. Do you have a specific organization that has been implemented with families who have students at the school now to help you with uh, prospective families? No, I don't think, I'm not sure I understand the question. I'm sorry. Do you, do you have an official group of parents that you've kind of deputized to help you recruit prospective families? Great. No, we, you know, we have a wonderful parents association and spirit committee, but we are, we, because of COVID, frankly, it's disrupted this. It's really because folks have been just coming to us in um, large numbers. We are managing those new families. The word of mouth is sort of that natural conversation around experience and, um, and the, you know, the being on campus. So a lot of our current families are just the natural advocates and cheerleaders anyway. However, um, pulling together a parent ambassador groups, you know, that's purely focused on some of, um, you know, marketing and um, just in, in sort of a more unified way is something we're thinking about right now, but we haven't, we don't have a, an official group. It's just something that we know many of our families just do naturally. It's incredible. Again, I'm, I, I'm still fixated on the fact that you brought in 215 new families. And, and I'm sure that alone has taken a lot of logistics to make sure that they are all onboarded in a way that makes them feel individually appreciated and knowledgeable about how the school runs and how it's going to work for their child. Uh, obviously, you are in a, a wonderfully enviable position, particularly given what some schools are going through. And obviously, it's 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 going to be it's going to be different moving forward. Um, we're not going to have the the swings with the pandemic. But to get back to the admission office, uh, what kind of training are they? How big is it? And what kind of training do they have on a regular basis to make sure that that even the new people are on board with the procedures of the office? This episode is sponsored by the Independent Educational Consultants Association. It is the largest and most respected organization representing independent educational consultants. An IECA member educational consultant is a skilled professional who provides counseling to help students and families choose a school that is a good personal match, one that will foster the student's academic and social growth. IECA members adhere to the strictest ethical ethical standards in the profession, visit hundreds of campuses each year, and are among the most experienced educational consultants in the profession. They focus on finding the best match between student and school. Many schools have gained students from new communities because of their outreach to IECA members. Personally, I was a director of admissions for 20 years, and the IECA consultants were crucial in helping me find the best mission-appropriate students. They are fantastic people to work with. In fact, national and regional media, as well as government agencies, rely on IECA as the authority of the profession. IECA is consistently cited by the media as the association with ethical, student-centered advising. For more information on how to connect with IECA members, go to IECAonline.com. That's IECAonline.com. 
Yeah, we are you talking about our new families or? Um, uh, I'm sorry, when I say training, I meant training of admission officers. Yes. So we our admission team has been together for multiple years before I even arrived. So wow. um, they lean on other admission officers and other schools. They're very collaborative. They are um, also part of um, multiple association memberships. And, um, you know, important, they've visited other schools. So they've gone out of state before the pandemic and visited a couple open houses. And, you know, that's, that's really over the last two years, that is their primary source of how they are keeping up with trends and learning innovative ways for recruiting and retaining our families and listening to our families. They are doing a lot of, um, one of the, one of the, one of the, my, um, I I would say pillars of leadership is um, listening to learn. And so creating or inspiring this culture of feedback uh, so that we can analyze it and um, really think about it and synthesize it when we, when we have patterns found through the feedback. So that is what our admission office is focused on. That's probably a much different than it was before I arrived. It sounds like you've really instilled a kind of a culture of communication, very clear communication. Yes, I, that is, um, I'm a stickler for communication. Someone said to me once, if, um, if you don't communicate, people will fill in the blanks. And that, that just stuck with me. It's true. I believe in it. It's true. I've been guilty of doing it when I'm on the receiving end or not receiving communication. So I've, I've always got that phrase spinning in my head as a leader. I love that. No, that makes, that makes so much sense because as you said, I think we're all, we're all very, very guilty of that. Yeah. Well, here you are, you're running a school of over 800 kids. What's your, what's a day like for you? Not just from the standpoint of your leadership, but I mean, what time do you get up in the morning? What do you have a morning routine? Do you do yoga? Do you journal? What, what keeps you focused? I do start off in the morning. I get up um, around 5.30 and I do a uh, treadmill and I do some very light weights. So I, I make sure I exercise in the morning. I would I do that anywhere three to four times a week. And so that's how I start my morning. And then, you know, I, I the, the, obviously, you know, the days, the days vary. Um, when I get home, I really try to, I put my phone away you know, we have, I, you know, I have an emergency system. Someone will track down my husband if there's a real emergency, but I really try to put my phone away and focus on family time. We walk the dogs every night, um, try to sit outside late at night, uh, a good Netflix binge or reading a book is, you know, to take my mind off work. I think just to, to get that disconnection, even if it's for 30 minutes, I try to do at night. Um, in a typical day, you know, obviously that's going to vary, but those are the things, you know, my family are very important. Um, and, uh, my husband's my biggest cheerleader. So family time for me really keeps me grounded. Now, how old are your, how old are your children? So we have four boys and we have, uh, they range in age from 26 to almost 21 to 19 to 14. So we wow. have three out of the house, although although two um, back um, during their college breaks. And then we have a rising ninth grader here at Greensboro Day School. A busy day, absolutely busy, busy day to be sure. Um, one of the things I read is that you, you do enjoy travel. Is there a particular place that's, that's your go-to place uh, to get away? 
You know, we don't have, we really don't have a go-to place. We actually are in the mode of seeing all that we can see and soak in. Um, we did, we spent most of our years loading up a minivan and driving to visit my uh, parents in Florida. But then as the kids got a little bit older, driving across country, we would go for uh, two or three weeks at a time. I mean, we drove, we drove from Louisville to Cannon Beach, Oregon one time, of course, stopping at uh, the Tetons and Yellowstone and then back through Banff and Glacier on the way. We're, we're big fans of national parks. So really just trying to, you know, I want, um, we want our boys to just see all parts of the United States and um, other countries. So we have, my husband and I got married in St. John. So I would say maybe a go-to place, although we just don't go to it en en enough to call it a go-to, but we are two days after graduation, we are going to load up our, our boys and head down to St. John and just all of us unplug and relax. So um, we got married down there. So I am, I'm excited. We've only returned a few times and I would say that's, if I could wave my magic wand and put myself on an island, that's where it would be. Just beautiful weather. Just beautiful weather. Yeah. yeah. Um, my wife and I um, honeymooned in the Bahamas, so I, I can uh -huh. appreciate that, that kind of weather, to be sure. I love the Bahamas. Now, are you a, are you a cook at all? Is that something that's interesting to you or not so much? I enjoy it. Yeah, my husband really is the cook of the family. I enjoy it around the holidays. And I, I, I enjoy it in the summertime. I like trying new things in the summer um, when it's, even though I'm working, it's just a different feel when, you know, the, the, the nights are a little bit longer, it's lighter out and we enjoy grilling and sitting on the back porch. And so, but day to day, he saves us. He cooks for our family. And That's wonderful. Awesome. That's wonderful. I, I've, I've talked to a number of heads and same thing. Their spouses are the cook. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a good, it's a good team effort. Um, it is a team effort. You are a thought leader. You've been in education a number of years, but also you've been in the corporate world. As you see what's transpired in this world, not necessarily just this year, but in time, what do you think are the, some of the greatest challenges we as a society face and what can education do to help some of these situations? Yeah, I think that's a that's a big question. Um, you know, if I think about what we can do to help, you know, I, in my my personal opinion, um, it feels like anyway, um, we've become just more polarized society, you know, it just feels that way. Um, I think the social media and the 24 hour news, and all of that is, you know, it's just never shut, shut off. I mean, when I was a kid growing up and frankly, a young adult, you had the evening news that would end at six 30. And, you know, in, in some, I, I watched a Ted talk and I can't remember who, who I was, who I was watching, but he just talked about a newspaper, you know, a newspaper, you just close it up and you were done. It's, it's finite with, with social media and the internet, there's just no end to it all. And I, I think it's just hard to shut down from that. So I just think, managing that um, discipline. And I do think that's a big part of contributing to our, um, how we're divided, whether it's politically, um, you, you know, or religiously, it's just, um, we just have a, so civil discourse, I think is one way independent schools can help with that. Um, we saw racial injustice at the forefront of, in the middle or in the midst of COVID. And so again, um, constructive dialogue, civil discourse, 
helping our helping our students. Um, you know what we tell what I tell my faculty and students is, you know, we're not here to change minds or change values. We really are here to open minds and um, to prepare students to work. You know, in a diverse community, whether it's neurodiversity or political diversity or racial diversity, whatever that diversity is, it's who we are. Um, we have to learn to work um, beside and in a multicultural society. So again, independent schools can model that with how they um, recruit and retain families um, and help our students understand that that's the kind of community we want to be to prepare them for the world that they're going into. I think the um, mental health of adolescents and young adults is a major problem. I mean, it's, it's been trending downward psychological well-being since I think 2007, 2008. And we know that, you know, communities in really high poverty have always been at risk for mental health due to their socioeconomic status. But um, uh, Sunya Luther is a leading researcher showing, opening our eyes to the fact that students in high achieving schools are at risk as well. Um, and I know, you know, I can't speak, to, I, I know generally with COVID trends, the isolation and being home, I personally think now there's a group of students at even a higher risk of a decline in psychological well-being. How can independent schools help to the second part of your question is just that focus on whole child, that whole child approach, making sure, and many independent schools do this work of being very intentional and focused about social and emotional learning, providing parent and community education sessions on how to support kids, how to look for warning signs, um, you know, all of that, uh, and, you know, all of that really, frankly, should be a part of um, every school, but independent schools have, you know, can step up and provide that um, and should. Now, under the, the, the process of equity and inclusion, is there anything that your school has done specifically to address that recently? This episode is brought to you by ISCA. Does your board chair know about ISCA, the Independent School Chairpersons Association? The mission of ISCA is to support independent school board chairs in becoming effective governance leaders for their boards. ISCA accomplishes this by offering peer support and networking resources and educational opportunities. Get your board chair connected to ISCA today by visiting iscachairs.org. That's I-S-C-A-C-H-A-I-R-S dot org. I-S-C-A-C-H-A-I-R-S dot org. Um, we have, you know, we've had conversations with our alumni because I feel like you can't really focus on the now and the present until you understand the past. So we had a really wonderful dialogue with our alum, alumni. How was, what was their experience like? Uh, we just put out a community of belonging survey that went out to our parents through our partnership with Authentic Connections. For the last two years, we assessed the well-being and the sense of belonging um, of our students. And that survey goes out to grades six through 12. We also just knew this year do a classroom climate feedback survey. And we start in kindergarten and we use um, things like smiley faces and faces, frowny faces. Anyway, so all of our students have an opportunity to, you know, to let us know, do you feel like you have a voice at the table in your classroom? Do you feel like um, your teacher hears you and supports you? 
And um, so we're, we're, we are working on um, getting more feedback, understanding the past, understanding, understanding currently what's going on. And our director of diversity and belonging, um, which is a new position um, I created last year, is working um, with our counseling department uh, to develop a community of belonging framework so that we have articulated what we do in terms of social emotional support, what we do in terms of um, making sure that uh, diversity, equity, inclusion is part of our curriculum. So it's, it's all encompassing, you know, can't just happen as a one-off with a speaker or one book. It really needs to be part of the fabric of who we are. So it's a lot of work and we're committed to it. it, it um, it's taking time, but um, I'm excited about the progress that we have made. Well, it seems like you've never been afraid to make proactive steps. I think people that know me might say that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were there any particular uh, aspects of the feedback that were surprising to you when you, when you sent out these polls and questionnaires? Yeah. You know, because of that whole polarization thing and, and sometimes you hear from the loudest people and not necessarily the majority of people. Um, I we're, we're doing really, really well. Our kids feel safe. They feel like it's a sense of, um, belonging and and we asked demographic information so that we could get a sense mm -hmm. of um, you know is there a particular demographic group that doesn't feel safe so right now while we have some work to do um, in some areas there are no big surprises some things are aligning with trends but it really reiterates and validates you know the the great work that we are doing and sometimes. It's a reminder that sometimes just because um, some, a couple of voices are loud, you really need to dig in and get the data and have conversations to find out, are they loud or is it, you know, or is it a pattern? That's right. Because sometimes that, that loudness really over, overshadows the statistics. Right. Let me, let me swing back around to admissions a little bit. As you've seen education evolve and, and the demands of what the admission officers must handle, what do you think are the most important skill sets new professionals to the business of admissions must have to succeed? Number one is listening. I, hands down, we need to listen to our prospective parents and students. You know, what are they looking for? Um, sometimes they're looking for something you can't offer. And so I think listening, and, and then I think most of the time they are looking for what we offer and we need to make sure that we can customize either, you know, um, part of a campus tour or highlighting parts of our program um, that are parallel with what they value. And, you know, we're also um, spent this year our, um, some, I would say back to the training question and, and to answer in terms of skill is be knowledgeable of why um, school, why prospective families choose independent schools. So, the NIS um, jobs to be done data is something we've been really focused on for the last 18 months. And we have actually written up, we've used that, those four sort of jobs. And we are in the process of saying, okay, if a parent is coming for a really rigorous academic experience to get in a selective college, what parts of our program can we put under that, you know, pillar so that we can be ready to, you know, answer those questions from those parents and, or demonstrate 
through um, our value proposition, how we can um, meet those parents' needs. So, so listening, understanding the trends and the data that NIS has been so great about providing, um, and then obviously knowing our school. So, so being immersed in not just reading what our school's doing, but popping into a classroom, walking outside and seeing it happen. And I went from director of admission at my former school after being an assistant head of academics for so long. And the storytelling was so natural for me because I worked on our curriculum for so long. So that was really easy. Um, and my team would say, wow, you know a lot about the curriculum. And, and I was able to teach them. They listened to me, but I also would say, go out and watch the, you know, watch them blow up that rocket or something. Because I think when you see it, you're just more speaking from the heart and passionately. You know, I, our, our admission office here, it's, they're not a, a force of salespeople. You know, they're, they've been in the school. One of them's been in education, has been a teacher. So I think having an ex experience in education is also a skill, you know, even as a teacher, because you know the program, you really can speak from, from your heart. Yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot more sophisticated skills they need, but the basics never leave. You've, as you said, you've got to listen. Uh, you have to really have a sense of the persona of that particular family. And when they walk in that office, they need to be prepared. Absolutely. That's right. And be data informed. I mean, um, you know, understanding our trends, understanding how to do projections, understanding how to interpret demographic information. So they look, they work closely with our CFO, who's very, he's a really high, high uh, competency level in data um, collection. And so they, they're working really well. So they can use that data to help inform, you know, are there pockets of markets outside of Greensboro that we can be targeting, um, et cetera. You talked certainly about very important skills that admissions people need, such as empathy, insight, the ability to interpret data. Um, you mentioned the word sales. Do you think there are certain sales fundamentals that, the, that they need to be aware of when working with families? And I guess the correlate question is, how do you define sales? Well, just understanding the product, understanding, you know, what we have to offer, understanding um, clearly our value add. And, and, you know, that's what every great salesperson has, you know, has to be able to do is to sell the product authentically and with integrity. And that's certainly, certainly huge because every, every parent wants to make sure that they get absolutely the most accurate information for their particular, their particular needs. That's right. Tracy, let me, let me ask you uh, again, you are a woman of very strong opinions about education and where it should go. Let's pretend that we're creating a billboard on the freeway of life. What should that billboard say that everybody is going to see? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. <laughs> on the freeway of life, you stumped me there, Thomas. Let's see, on the freeway of life, I guess, I, I mean, I can't think of what the billboard would say, but I get, I'm more of a visual person. You know, you want to surround yourself with people who you love and you want to surround, um, you want to make sure the work that you do is something that you enjoy. No, I wonderful words, wonderful words in this world that goes by so quickly, being around people you love and doing what you love. I don't think any of us can go, can go wrong with that. You've been so gracious with your time, but let me ask you in closing, 
is there anything that you'd like to say to our listeners that you feel that you haven't quite addressed yet that you'd like to? Well, I hope, um, you know, I hope mo- I'm, I'm sure all independent schools, if not most, are really looking at what did we learn from COVID? And, you know, let's not just go back to what we were doing before all of this. Um, we've certainly learned that being outdoors is really important. The kids enjoy it and, and it's good for kids. So thinking about how to leverage more outdoor spaces instead mm-hmm. of just getting rid of the temporary things that we've done and um, thinking about, uh, we just rolled out our flexible learning plan for next year. It's going to look different because we won't have as many families needing that option next year. But then thinking about, you know, are there, you know, how, how what will distance lo- learning look like for GDS in the future? Um, so just really asking those questions. What do we not want to lose? Um, what do we want to bring back? Um, I think this, this summer will be a really important reflection um, time for, for all independent schools who, who want to take um, what they learned and, and develop it into their new future. Well, I know that, uh, that, that your words certainly resonate with a lot of people. And I cannot thank you enough for your kindness and spending some time with me and our listeners. And let's continue to stay in touch. I wish you uh, safe travels wherever you and your family go after graduation. And just be safe out there. And again, thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you, Thomas. I enjoyed spending time with you and I appreciate it. And um, you be safe too. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving a short review on your favorite platform. It takes less than 60 seconds, and it really makes a difference in helping to convince those hard-to-get guests. Also, I really love reading the reviews. Lastly, please explore the full range of our recruiting services, guest opportunities, memberships, newsletters, past shows, and our exciting promotional campaigns for 2021 through this podcast, Roar Magazine, the first ever lifestyle publication for admission professionals that launches this summer, and Admission Fest Summit, power marketing for the new era. This summit will be held in San Diego on December 5th. Please go to our website for all details at www.dartmouthassociates.com. That's www.dartmouthassociates.com. Thank you again for being part of our wonderful membership, and I wish you an absolutely terrific day. This episode is brought to you by Winner Marketing. They are a global company that actually understands independent schools. I know. As their advisor, I bring 30 years of educational success, both as a head of school and director of admissions. They don't try to squeeze you into a campaign template that doesn't fit your educational needs. Instead, they first listen carefully to your concerns and develop a creative solution just for you. They understand the increasing competition in the marketplace and aggressively pursue a comprehensive campaign to elevate the school brand to your target market. Their precise approach guides potential families from awareness to inquiry 
and to finally enroll. They use world-class methods to raise credibility and rankings by featuring you in top-tier press campaigns and optimizing your Google rankings with dynamic content. Additionally, they create press releases, funnel and ad campaigns, SMS and email nurturing. Also, they enhance domain authority, create backlink strategies, and engage top-tier retainers to get you featured in platinum publications such as Forbes and Business Insider. They will also create a podcast branding tour to exponentially increase your exposure. They've got the skills to help small nonprofits to multi-million dollar corporations. Contact them now. They can save your school. You can reach them at their website, which is winner, W-Y-N-N-E-R marketing.com. That's winner marketing, W-Y-N-N-E-R marketing.com. Or reach them via email at info at wintermarketing.com. That's I-N-F-O at winner, W-Y-N-N-E-R marketing.com. This episode is sponsored by the Ninjagram app. Let's talk about automating your social media with the Ninjagram app over at www.ninjagram.com ninjagram.app. This Instagram software will help you automate and grow your Instagram following fast by using their auto follow, auto unfollow, auto comment, auto like, and auto story views feature, and much more. Get over to www.ninjagram.app today to purchase and download the Ninjagram app at www.ninjagram.app. N-I-N-J-A-G-R-A-M dot app and start growing your Instagram following fast today. Also, I want to give a shout out to my producers over at Hype Music Network and jwattproduction.com. These guys produce all my episodes and I trust no one else to bring the quality performance I demand every time. If you need help with your first podcast, they will take you by the hand and guide you through the whole process. Visit them at hypemusicnetwork.com. That's H-Y-P-E-M-U-S-I-C-N-E-T-W-O-R-K.com and at jwattproduction.com. That's J-A-Y-W-A-T-P-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-O-N.com. You will not be disappointed.